Well, good morning, City Light. My name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are wrapping up a four-week series on our core values as a church. And so we are uh, in our eighth week as a core team meeting here. Um, and so that's exciting. Two months in today. Uh, yeah. You may have noticed some of the changes. Our HVAC is cleaned up a little bit. Some of these red wires that were spread out all over are cleaned up. The big hole that was a fan to the outside of the room is now filled in. We have a stage. I mean, we're making progress in eight weeks. Um, We're also making progress just in formation, in learning about who we are. What are we to be about in the city, in the world, as we follow Jesus. And so I want to do a brief recap of our core values, and then we're going to zero in on the last one today. And so our core values are just directions. They're not super long or complex. We describe them like this, down, up, in, and out. And so if you'll remember, um, three weeks ago, Chuck preached on the parable of the prodigal son. And he talked about how the father went out to the lost son, both the one who had gone and spent his inheritance wildly in rebellion and the one who had obeyed and stayed at the father's side and served. The father went out to both of them to draw them closer to him. Um, The gospel is the good news that our God came down to us. He goes out to us. We receive His grace and mercy. And so we always want to be a people that know we serve a God who comes down. Um, next is up. And a couple weeks ago, um, Doug talked about this one, formation. Um, a response to the gospel, worship and praise. If you'll remember, he preached out of Acts um, and Pentecost where the Spirit of God and the Word of God come together to exalt the Son of God. And so in response to a God who came down to us, we always want to exalt Him, to praise Him. We want to be about worshiping Jesus and being formed into a person more like Him always. And so down is God's movement toward us. Us is our res- uh, Up is our response to Him. And then last week, um, if you caught anything either before or after the fire alarm and the exodus, um, you'll remember that Pastor Chris was talking about in and that we are a community that uh, seeks to be loving and hospitable and welcoming. We want people to be drawn into our family where we take care of each other and we care for each other. And we saw the ways that um, the early church did this in Acts. They studied the Word of God together. They loved, they gave generously to one another. And we want to be that kind of a community where we see each other as a family and we invite other people into that. And then finally, um, today we're going to talk about out. And out is mission. And we, we know that because God stepped out of heaven and came to earth, because God sent His people out to the nations, we are a people that goes out. We are not purposeless or missionless without direction. God has given us a mission 
And he's called us as a people who go out. And so those are our four core values, down, up, in, and out. And we're going to look at out today, and we're going to do it in one of my favorite books, um, the book of Jonah. Um, My wife picked his name, but we named our third son Jonah. And it's always been one of my favorite books of the Bible. And most of you can probably tell me what happened to Jonah in the book. He was swallowed by the fish. Um, But I want to dive a little deeper than that today. I want to look at Jonah as a prophet who was sent out, called out, and given a mission. And so, um, without any more introduction, let's dive into the book of Jonah. Um, Six points to this uh, story. Six points. It's actually two, it's two threes, okay? So they're going to they're gonna, uh, go one, two, three, and then four, five, and six kind of are a mirror image um, of one, two, and three, all right? So I'm, I'm still trying to stick to three points. I'm just going to do it twice, all right? Um, so here we go. All right, number one, Um, God called Jonah to go out, and he fled. At the very beginning of the book, um, this is what we see. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Um, A little context here. Uh, The nation of Israel under David and Solomon was massive. It spanned the entire east coast of the Mediterranean. I always want it to be west, but it's east. Uh, The entire east coast of the Mediterranean, from the south to the north. And over time, as the kings rebelled against God, God allowed their neighbors unbelieving peoples to take land away from the nation of Israel. And one of the nations that did that um, were the Assyrians. They were north of Israel and east out in the Arabian Peninsula. And they took land from Israel on the north side. And Jonah was a prophet that, said, that prophesied to the kings of Israel that they would reclaim the land that they had lost from the north to the south, and the nation of Israel would be restored. And so when God said, Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh, for their evil has come up against me, Jonah is thinking, Nineveh is like the biggest city in Assyria. These are evil, wicked people who've oppressed Israel for years. They've stolen our cities and killed our people. And you want me to go there to that wicked people? It wasn't just a call to a random city. God knew what he was doing. And he said, the people of Assyria in the city of Nineveh, their evil has gotten so bad that the writer of Jonah actually personifies it. He said, their evil has come up before me. Jonah, go there. And Jonah is a prophet, right? He's already prophesied to the kings. You're going to get this land back. You would think of all the people who would get a call from God, a prophet would respond. 
You would do it if you were a prophet. You would get to audibly hear God. You would get to know that what He was saying was from Him. You don't have to wonder. And so a prophet should listen and go. God told Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah did not go to the north and the east, to Nineveh. He went to the south and the west, the opposite direction, to a city called Joppa. It was a port city so that he could sail away to Tarshish in Spain. The man of God not only didn't go, he fled the opposite direction. This is a big deal, right? For a prophet, for anybody. Um, I would ask right now, in, in Scripture, we don't get at this point yet a reason why Jonah fled. We're not yet told. It's just it's verse 3. God told him to go, and he went the other way. I would ask you guys, have you ever heard the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations? Have you ever been in a place where you said, oh, God, I know you're calling me there. I'm just, I can't go. Have you ever wanted to flee? Um, I was a youth leader for a while. And uh, we went to Boulder, Colorado. One of my youth group uh, guys, Kevin, is here in the crowd today. He was there with me. We went to Boulder, Colorado to the Pearl Street Mall. Anybody been there? It is a weird and wild place if you've never been there. And I had like a dozen high school kids, and I was a freshman in college. I just finished my freshman year, and they let me be a chaperone. That was a bad idea. Um, But they did it, and they sent a dozen students with me on the Pearl Street Mall, and we were supposed to strike up conversations about Jesus. I was so out of my element. Um, so I'm just looking for somebody that I can connect with. And there are hippies and hipsters and all kinds of people I didn't know. I'm from Red Oak, Iowa, right? I don't, have, I don't know what this is about. And so I see a juggler. If you don't know, I can juggle knives and torches. I have an identical twin, and we do a great sideshow. Um, I don't know if it's great. It's twins juggling fire. Um, so some sort of entertainment, I guess. But I saw a juggler, a clown. He was dressed up, and he was juggling. And I thought, all right, somebody I can talk to. And uh, so I walked up, and I said, hey, man, I can juggle. And he said, that's cool. Do all these people juggle? And I said, no, no, just me. And he said, well, what are, all, what are you all doing here? And I said, well, I'm a youth leader. This is my youth group. We're here to talk to people about Jesus. Honest to God, this is what he did pulls a Bible out of his inside pocket and says, cool, I have some questions for you. (laughs) I wanted to flee before he even asked. (laughs) And then it got weirder. He said, I think the Bible supports reincarnation. And he turns to the Gospels and he says, uh, where uh, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Some say Elijah, others say, and he goes on and on. And he's like, right, that's reincarnation. And I thought, I want, to, I want to flee. I have no idea where to go. Somebody should be telling me what to do here. And there's a dozen high school kids who are watching me saying, Eric, what do you say to this? Does the Bible support reincarnation? And I don't even remember what I said. Kevin, do you remember? I remember afterwards saying, there was the weirdest clown. And I felt like a fool. And I was a failure. I wanted to flee. Have you ever wanted to flee? 
Have you been in a situation where God was telling you, those people need to hear my word and you want to flee? I've been there. Jonah was there. And we don't get the reason yet. Um, I think there are lots of reasons that we flee, right? I'm not the right person. I don't know enough. Um, I'm scared they'll reject me. That's the pastor's job. Maybe it's just, look, I'm effective where I'm at. The place where I'm at is growing and healthy. Why would I leave? Have you ever wanted to flee the call of God? Jonah did. Um, And I don't think we're any different from him. Um, So, point number one. God called Jonah to go out, and Jonah fled. Point number two. Jonah meets some pagan sailors. So, Imagine this, Jonah gets on a ship, he buys his ticket, and I don't know how deep of a sleeper you guys are, I don't know if it was the stress that Jonah had just encountered of being called to a city he didn't want to go to, and going the opposite direction, and traveling to a port city and buying the ticket, I have no idea why he was so stressed, or if he was just a deep sleeper, but he went below deck, found a cot, laid down, and fell asleep, and the ship set sail, and while they were sailing, a great storm came on the sea, like massive storm, to the point that everybody else on the boat thinks they're going to die, and they start throwing overboard everything that they don't need, and then they start saying, hey, we're going to die. Everybody, if you are the praying kind, I don't care what God you pray to, pray to somebody, we need a response. And so the sailors start praying They're at the point of death. The ship is going to start breaking up. I don't know if you've ever been there on a ship where you feel like you might die, like motion sickness. I never have, but I watched a movie once. Um, Did you guys ever see Captain Phillips? Anybody? The guy who sailed on the cargo ship? Yeah. I went and saw that movie with Andy. Andy's doing security over there. And uh, I was excited about it. We sat right in the center of the theater. And so all I could see was the screen. And if you've seen that movie, all the camera does the whole time is this. You're on the ship. And I've never been motion sick at all. And as the movie went, I I was like, I am going to get sick. I'm not going to last through this movie. Um, and so I thought, well, I guess when you're motion sick, you, you, close, you find a horizon, like a steady spot. And so I'm trying to do that. Maybe if I close my eyes, and I close my eyes, and all I can hear is like the speakers vibrating and shaking my chest and my stomach. And I was like, I'm not going to make it. And with about five minutes left in the movie... I said, Andy, I got to (laughs) go. Like, this is going to be bad. And so I went out. I sat in the hallway for a minute. And I physically got sick because of the the movement of the camera and Captain Phillips. It was super embarrassing. And Andy came out, and I was like, don't smell my breath. (laughs) I got motion sickness from being in this movie. They weren't just motion sick on this boat, right? They didn't just watch it. They were on the boat, It was shaking to the point that they're not just sick. They're approaching death. And so they call out, anybody, just start praying. Whoever you pray to, and nobody is responding. And so somebody gets the idea, hey, maybe not everybody's doing their part. Maybe somebody's not praying. And so they search the ship, and they find Jonah. And they ask him a few questions. 
Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And this was Jonah's response. He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah, as he is fleeing from God, gets asked, who are you? And as the boat is breaking apart, he says, I'm a Hebrew. And my God made the sea and the dry land. And all of a sudden, all these pagan sailors say, you're our guy. What have you done? You need to start praying. We need your God. If he created the seas, he can stop this. If he created the dry land, he can get us back there. Jonah, what do we do? And Jonah says, you have to throw me overboard. I'm the reason. You've got to kill me. And all of a sudden, these pagan sailors show more faith in the God who created the sea and the dry land than Jonah had. And their first response was, there's no way if you serve the God who created the sea and the dry land, there's no way we're going to lay a hand on you. We'll go row harder. And so they go up top, they row and they row and they row, and the ship is taken on water and they're about to sink. And so they go back to Jonah. All right, we're going to listen. We're going to throw you overboard. And so this is what uh, the Bible says. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These men obeyed God. They obeyed the prophet of the Lord even though they had never followed Him before. None of them prayed to that God first. Only Jonah. And they threw Him overboard and immediately the rain settles, the clouds part, the winds calm, the waves calm, and these men, they start sacrificing to God and making vows. They got saved. They were vowing to God, if you can save us from this sea, from this storm, we'll make vows to you and keep them. We'll sacrifice to you. You deserve it. The sailors got saved. God called Jonah to go out, and Jonah fled. He met pagan sailors. And even when he wasn't on mission, he just spoke of who God was. And people responded and they got saved. And they threw Jonah overboard and he started to sink. And he sank under the water down and down. The waves overtook him. He was holding his breath on the point of death, dying a rebel's death, someone who was fleeing from God himself, ready to give in. And to the man who had no breath, God gave a savior. To the man who couldn't swim to the top without, on his own, God provided a way out. See, most of the time we think that we are fishermen and we go fish for fish. 
But God is a fisherman and he fishes for men. And in this case, he used a fish to catch the man. See the irony? He caused the fish to swallow the man. And Jonah had breath and he had life and he had a way out of the water. God saved the rebel who claimed to be the man of God with the fish. God saved him. And when, he, when the fish swallowed him up, Jonah prayed. And Jonah prayed this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The beginning and the end. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah prayed, and he was grateful for God's mercy. God's grace and mercy were shown to the pagan sailors and to the religious prophet. God's mercy was for us, the religious, and for them, the pagans. And Jonah was grateful. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and he knew it, and the sailors knew it. So Jonah gets saved, and he prays. And then God calls him again. He tells the fish, hey, go spit him on dry land. And God calls him for a second time. And this time, Jonah responds a little differently. Right? This is what's recorded. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Um, I read some commentaries. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Adam Clark. He's a fiery old Methodist. And uh, he, he, in his commentaries, he'll write things like, Oh, reader, that we would know, and go on and on. So he preaches to you while he writes. And I get kind of excited about that. And so as I was preparing this week, um, I just got to share something he wrote. Um, when, when the passage said... Uh, Call out against it, the message that I will give you. Call out the message. Those words can be translated in a few different ways. They can be translated, um, cry the cry, preach the preaching, herald the call. And this is what Adam Clark says. Be my herald and faithfully deliver my message. The words signify a crier, a herald, a preacher, One that makes proclamation with a loud and earnest cry. Such was John the Baptist. Such was Jesus Christ. And such were all his apostles. And such earnestness becomes a ministry that has to do with immortal souls. Asleep and dead in sin. Hanging on the brink of perdition. That's judgment. And insensible of their own state. The soft-speaking, gentle-toned, unmoved preacher is never likely to awaken souls. As we preach, so the people hear. I think Clark would probably agree, there's a time and a place for gentleness. There's a time and a place for soft-spokenness. 
when we speak the gospel. I would ask, though, are you willing to step out of that category and into somebody who preaches the preaching and heralds the message and calls out the call? Are we willing to do that? Because we're dealing with immortal souls. If we really believe that the gospel has the power of life and death, that it hardens and it heals, and that for some people who are destined for an eternity separated from God, could change, could turn to Him and be destined for paradise with Him, are you ready to preach the preaching and call the call? Um, when I traveled to Rwanda, Africa, um, I, I flew back. And the flight back was like 16 hours or something. And if you've ever ridden on a plane for even an hour in the middle seat, um, it's uncomfortable. The plane that we flew in had three sets of three, and I was in the middle set in the middle seat. It was like as bad of a middle uh, experience as you could get, and I didn't sleep at all. And when I got home, my wife was so excited to hear about the trip and about the kids, and we sponsor a little girl, and she wanted to know all about Lambertine, and what's she like, and did you get a hugger, and, and I wish I could hug her, and she had all these questions, and no joke, I would talk and then I would doze off, and then I would startle awake and start talking about something totally different. I was almost dead asleep. I just couldn't stay awake. And I was totally ignorant that that was happening. And I would start talking, and Sarah would say, what are you talking about? And I was like, I thought I was telling that story. Was I not? I must have been dreaming that. I was almost dead asleep and totally unaware of how I was living and what I was doing. I think this is what Clark is saying lost people are like. They're asleep and unaware of the greater world that's happening around them. Are you ready to call the call that could wake up an immortal soul to the goodness of the gospel? Um, In this case, Jonah was. Jonah was and he went. He went from the beach where the Fish spit him to Nineveh. Nineveh was a huge city. Um, It was something between 50 and 60 miles in circumference. There was a wall around it that was over 100 feet high and wide enough that three chariots could drive side by side by side across it. It would take three days to walk around the city. Jonah went there and started walking and preaching, crying the cry, heralding the message. And it was seven or eight words. Jonah rose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Uh, And he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. He walked around the wall, shouting, Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Not a very seeker-friendly message. (laughs) 
not a very like loving, let's go find friendly people and start a small group and then see if it'll grow into a community of love that other people want to join, right? That's good stuff. Not what Jonah did. 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. Take it or leave it. That's the message. Drop the mic. Walk a little further. Shout it again. Right? This is Jonah. And this is how I I just love. The reason that Doug read what he read, if you guys made it through that earlier, is because I love the response of the people of Nineveh. Um. This is what they say. Let everyone, this is what the king said. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king called a fast. Everybody fasted from the king to the peasant. The cattle fasted. They didn't feed them or take them to water. Everybody fasted. And the king said, we should do this because if we repent, who knows how God might respond. I want to ask you guys, if we ask ourselves the same question, what would it look like? Who knows what would happen if we obeyed? Who knows what would happen if we cried the cry and heralded the message? When Jonah did it, a whole city got saved. Could our whole city get saved? Could everyone repent? Could the most addicted be set free? Could the most broken be restored? Could the most lonely find community? Could the most hurting find joy? Could the most angry be softened? Who knows what might happen if we obey? Who knows how people would respond if we call the call and cry the cry? I love the response of the king. He doesn't demand God's response. He also doesn't expect him to be indifferent. He says, I'm going to respond. And who knows, God may relent. And he had hope. And he did it. And he called all of his people. Jonah encountered pagan sailors. And when he described the kind of God that he served, they repented and were saved. And Jonah encountered a city of pagan people. And when he said, talked about the power of God to be overthrown, the city to be overthrown, they responded and they repented. And this is what God did. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Nineveh was saved. Jonah got saved. The sailors got saved. Nineveh got saved. And after Nineveh got saved, Jonah prayed again. It's number six, I think. Jonah prayed again. And Jonah, being the kind of guy that he was, did not pray again a thankful prayer like the first time. When God showed His grace to Jonah... Jonah says, thank you. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But when Nineveh got saved, Jonah prays a little different prayer. That's what chapter 4 says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You can see why he's mad at God. I knew you would do this. You called me there. You would show mercy because that's who you are. And I'm angry and displeased. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. God saved a lost people, and Jonah says, I'm so upset, I would rather die than endure this kind of a call. What is going on in his heart? I mean, we don't know. Part of it could be um, that God is saving Israel's oppressors. And that could upset a follower of God. Part of it could be that Jonah, as a prophet, said in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And now, God saved Nineveh. It's not going to be overthrown. Is he really a prophet? Did what he say come true? Who knows why he's upset, but he was ticked off to the point of death. I would ask you, as a people, do we have the heart of God for the lost? Do our hearts long for the lost like God's heart does? I just went to West Des Moines. It's the ritziest place in Iowa, right? I was in Waukee at a new church plant. They are 18 months old. It's just a little bit further than where we are. They just bought a $4.2 million building. It is beautiful. And there are no cables in their ceiling at all. And their chairs are permanent and in place. Their stage has beautiful wood on it. And their screen is in a place that you can see. And I thought, God, what on earth? How could I ever be called to a place like this where you don't have to work for it? That was my heart. I honestly did not rejoice that God provided a church to that place. I said, thank you, God, that you called my college roommate here instead of me because I'd have a real hard time with these people. $4.2 million on a building, you're 18 months old. How do you know you'll even use it? Have you been there? Do you have a heart for the lost like God does? Jonah didn't. I would ask this. Do you have a heart for people who aren't like you? If you live in West Council Bluffs, and you live paycheck to paycheck, and you don't have a savings account, do you look at the people who live up in the bluffs and say, I'm just not called to them? If you live in the bluffs, and you look at the people on the west side, in downtown, North Omaha, South Omaha, And you say, that's hard. Those people don't get it. They just work harder. If they were a little smarter with their money, if they loved Jesus more than they loved whatever else they loved, then they'd get it. It's hard. I'm not going there. Do you have a heart for the lost like God does? What about people who don't embrace traditional gender identity roles? Are you scared of them? Are you mad at them? Or do you long like God does that they would turn to Him and be saved? What about people that bow the knee to Allah and read from a different book? Are you scared of them? 
Do you not want to go out to them? Or do you have a heart of God for the lost like he does? Where he called Jonah out of the place among people who worship Jesus to a place where people worship vain idols. And they were ready to be destroyed. Do you have a heart that everyone would turn to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are you ready to preach the preaching and herald the call? I believe that we're a people who are sent out. God has a mission and a purpose for us. I don't think we're that different than Jonah. And the reason why I love Jonah is because Jesus in the Gospels points back to it more than once and says, that's a picture. That's a picture of what I'm going to do. I'm the greater Jonah. I'm going to fulfill and do the things he was not able to do. I'm going to love in the ways he was not able to love. Jonah was dying a rebel's death under the sea. Jesus died a rebel's death under the ground. After three days, Jonah was raised to new life out from under the oceans. And after three days, Jesus was raised to life out of the grave. Jonah preached impending judgment for Nineveh's unbelieving people, and when they repented, God responded. Jesus sent his disciples, his witnesses, and said, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we saw that as his people responded, unbelievers got saved. Jesus can do what Jonah couldn't. Jesus is the greater Jonah, and the whole story is about him. So how do we live out as a church? This is where I want to end. How do we live out as the City Light Church in Council Bluffs? Um, I think we do it in a few different ways. Um, we can go, like Jesus sent his people, to our city and our region and the ends of the earth. We live out in our city. We do it through city groups. We have four groups that meet throughout the week. They serve a neighborhood or a people, some sort of a mission. Um, I'd encourage you to join one. We're going to be commissioning city groups over the next four or five weeks. Learn who the people are and what they do. Get involved. Serve the city. It doesn't have to be through a city group. I'm learning from my seven-year-old son about this. There's a bully on our block. There are about eight little boys who play together, and one of them is mean to everybody else. And my seven-year-old son said, this little boy's different. He's meaner than the rest. We need to pray for him. And I thought, oh, Lord. Seven years old, and I can't figure it out. He's getting bullied. He's mean. Asher's cried at night because of what this kid does to him. And he says, we need to pray for him. He talks to his friends about, do you have eternal life? And I'm his dad, and I talk to a juggler, and I want to run away, right? (laughs) Seven years old. Who are you around? Who's in your life? Your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. Who needs to know Jesus? Are you ready to call the call? We don't just go into our city, we go into the region. We're part of a a group of churches, a family called City Light. And we plant churches and we do it aggressively and intentionally. We give time and resources to make it happen. You're here because we're part of a core team that's ready to launch this thing publicly in August. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say this is not the end. I prayed for this starting 12 years ago in college. I thought God was calling me to plant a church in Council Bluffs. About 10 years ago, I met my, uh, the woman who would become my wife. She joined me in it. 
I know Arnie and Peg and others have prayed for this for a decade. We had our first small group about six years ago in the Higgins uh, living room and the Bachmans were there and others were there and we started praying for this and the movement grew and a decade later we have a church. I would challenge us to say this is not the end. It is an end and we rejoice that God has done it and been faithful. But what might be the ends we're supposed to work toward now? What could this church be the means to? What should we be praying for now that in a decade we'll look back and say, remember how awful that room looked when we started? Remember when the fire alarm went off and the sound system was never quite right? It was a little too loud some weeks and some weeks we couldn't hear. We had to carry the chairs. But we started praying for God to move. And amen, He's going to do it. What do we need to pray for now? What is this church the means to? What ends are we working toward? The city, the region. Let's plant churches and let's go to the ends of the earth. People are doing it here. We have a group of people that support over 120 orphans in Rwanda, Africa. Our worship leaders, Willie and Sarah and Dave, who's here with us, they're part of a band called Orphans Cry. And they serve orphans in Central and South America, all over the world. They go see them go on a mission trip. See what God is doing around the globe. I would pray that one of the ends this church works toward is to raise up city groups and city group leaders and church planters and core team members and people who would sacrifice to go on mission trips and people who would heed the call to be missionaries. Oh, that we would see ourselves as a means to a greater end. Would we live out the mission of God in our city and in our world? I didn't like this. May we be a church that lives out the gospel. May our hearts be made ever more like God's heart for all people. Let's send out city groups and church plants, missionaries, to herald the call and call out the message. Let's live out the gospel because who knows how God might respond when we obey.